In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by worship leader, author, and founder of Confessions of a Worship Leader, Brandon Dempsey, to discuss the importance of confronting the lies that abuse tries to make us believe, as well as understanding just how truly valuable each of our personal stories are. The conversation in this episode is inspired by the topics and themes of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest, a new friend of mine. I am joined by, let's see, worship leader, speaker, author, etc., etc., etc. I'm going to give you a chance to say all your stuff, but my special guest today is Brandon Dempsey. Brandon, how are you doing, man? Welcome to the podcast. Austin, hey, thanks so much for having me, bro. It's, It's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. I'm so excited to talk with you. You, I found you through your Instagram page, your Confessions of a Worship Leader, which you have been running for a while and share all kinds of nuggets about your own personal spiritual journey, your time in worship, leading, spiritual abuse, trauma, the whole gamut. And I want to give you a chance to- I'm sorry you found it. I'm sorry. Yeah, right? I'm sorry you had to be there to find it, but I'm glad you did, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. (laughs) Right. That's, That's so true for so many of these. I'm sorry you had to find it. But really good stuff on there. And I wanted to bring you on to talk about your own journey, which once again, I'm sorry you had to do it, right? Yeah. I'm not sorry, by the way. Yeah. Sorry that it happened. You're right. But yeah, not sorry to address it and talk about it. That's why we're here. Exactly. So we're on just to talk about your personal journey, your experiences, what you've learned about your journey through spiritual abuse and trauma and the, all kinds of other stuff. But to start off here, I just want to ask you the question I ask every guest. Why don't you give us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey? Sure. Well, as you said, I lead a ministry called Confessions of a Worship Leader, and also that was a, a spinoff of worship team training, which there's people who know about that and what I do there since 2002. But what a lot of people don't know is about the abuse that happened to me, uh, not just within the church with spiritual abuse, but also involving sexual abuse. And Mm -hmm. this is a topic that I know goes deep and it's something that not a lot of people were expecting to hear from me just because of the fact that I've only began speaking about my real abuse for the past five years. And this Mm -hmm. has been a, a 40 year journey of recovery simply to go answer your question, the general overview, backing up years ago when I was born within an unchristian home, half and half kind of way. Uh, My parents divorced when I was five and my dad left a family uh, that had a lot of hardship on my um, siblings and my mom, myself, of course. And then into next year, I was abused at the age of six and that abuse lasted from six to 17. Uh, my dad came back into my life, but my dad was one of my abusers and also enabler. And that happened until about up to the time when I was nine is when I found when, when I discovered God's love for me. And that happened from the uh, uh, 
uh, older brother of a family that I was staying with. Uh, he was a strong Christian and uh, didn't know me, but yet he knew about the abuse. He knew about the cracks and the the hardship that I faced and, and the trauma. And he led me to the Lord where it all made sense because then, then I understood right away, okay, God is the one who I've been praying to and knowing that there is someone watching over me who sees my abuse, who sees me and knows me and loves me, but I don't know him. And then it all connected when my brother shared that with me. My, um, I call him my brother in Christ. That's, his name is Ben. Uh, going through school, junior high, high school, I was also invited to, because I've done music all my life since five years old. My, my family is a musically inclined family, and I've, I've grown up with other great musicians and been around the block. And so doing music wasn't a big deal. I was invited out to Young Life and also a student venture to lead worship. And then when that all began, that's when I heard the call of ministry. I had a major car accident. I nearly lost my ability to walk and be mobile. I, I had to learn over seven and a half year recovery of uh, nerve damage and muscle damage in which I had to learn how to walk all over again, do simple things like put on clothes or eat. And it was extremely painful, but that's where just before that I met my bride, which hmm. she and I go back to high school. So she was with me during the tragic car accident and everything with my family and all the other uh, dirt that happened to me. And coming out of that car accident, I began worship team training in 2002. Been doing that ever since. And a worship leader here locally in Austin, Texas. And uh, 2018 happened where the, the trauma surfaced in which I tried to keep down for so long and bury for so many years uh, through my active activity in the church even my relationship with God and even doing worship team training, I thought the more that I can just make myself do good, do the right good things, I don't have to look yeah. at the ugly bad things. And, but the more I kept doing that and burying it, uh, the deeper depression I was slipping in until I had suicidal thoughts. I wanted to take my life. I didn't find worth living anymore. And that was because all the trauma that I had buried. And I just did, did not come into a, a real encounter to really understand and go deep from all go deep into the hurt look at it for what it was and heal and so it's like putting a raft uh, an inflatable raft underwater you can only hold it underwater for so long mm, but mm -hmm. that pressure builds up and builds up you can't hold it back and after 40 years yeah. i just about exploded and so that's been a blessing the way that god used it the way that god enabled me to face my fear, face the hurt, face the abuse, face the trauma, which anybody who knows about trauma and abuse, it is a process. That's lifelong. It's not a overnight, over weekend, or flip the Jesus switch and I'm all healed now. It doesn't work that way. And so now I'm doing things in a new way and um, I'm, I, I feel fully connected, fully alive like I never had before. Beautiful bride and I have two beautiful boys that are, you know, in the ages of elementary school and junior high and we're just loving life here in Austin and more to come. Love it. That's great. I want to just dive in and get more in depth of these different aspects of your story. Can you share about just your experiences with abuse in church? Sure. Well, I ran to the church out of safety from the sexual abuse, hmm. and I, I thought that the church would receive and accept me and love me for who I was, 
but that wasn't the case. And it was filled with ridicule, with judgment. And they would look at my family and they look at me and say, well, you're completely wrong. You're not following the Bible. You really don't believe in God in the right way. Hmm. And there's sin in your life because if you have any kind of an abusive or broken background, that's the first thing that they hammer on is, well, what kind of life did you live? And and why hmm. why did you come to this point where you were abused? Because if you were walking with God and reading scripture and praying and being holy, those things wouldn't happen. And a lot of that sounds the same way, doesn't it? And how the, how the disciples protested to Jesus when he healed the blind man. And they were like, well, mm. wait a minute. Where is this guy? I mean, like, there's sin in his life, right? Isn't that why he was blind? And Jesus said, no, he was blind mm. to reveal the glory works of God. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm very careful to say that in these times now because I don't believe God brings us abuse. I don't believe God does this for the sake of his miracles being displayed in the sense that, well, I'm going to cause abuse in this person's life because I'm going to show myself. Well, mm. reality is that that's what the gospel, that's what the work of the gospels had done. Miracles took place then to show the display of the works of God. And those things were, were done for specific reasons. But today his miracles still continue. We know that, but that yeah. doesn't mean that God seeks vengeance on a person to elevate himself, that would make God a manipulator. And God's not right. a manipulator. He's all loving and all compassionate, all knowing, all truthful, the three in one. So for me, I understood very quickly that the churches I was involved with, they, they're just in my gut, it just wasn't right. And, and Wade Mullins has a book that's just phenomenal uh, when something isn't right. And that phrase goes like, when something isn't right, it probably isn't. And yeah. we, we tend to shoulder and shrug off things in the church like, well, maybe the pastor's having a bad day, or maybe the pastor's right. I need, to, I need to serve more in the church, or I need to give more, right? That's another hot button. Or yeah. I need to pray more. Everything's more. Everything's mm -hmm. more because it's chasing the church carrot to get you something that leadership is wanting you to obtain, but yet when you look at the reality of it, it's really not about you anymore, what you want to obtain. It's really about the selfish needs of the leadership and of the pastor of what mm -hmm. they selflessly want to gain out of you, which is why they make you work so hard. So for yeah. me, what that meant is that I was going into ministry. I found my call during the car accident that I had. I've always played music, I always loved it. And I thought, well, this is maybe the right way to go. And I had no idea at that time what worship leading was. And I thought, well, if you can do that, then, man, that's I don't want to do anything else in life except for just to read God's word, walk in the spirit, make music as a byproduct, and just love people. And that's always been my heart. But unfortunately, I was shepherded in the wrong path because I was a shepherd into the performance role of mm. music. And every church that I was at, it was more of a performance-driven, we must wow the people, we must put on a presentation, and yeah. I really never asked why. I never asked yeah. why. I just thought, okay, well, that's the way we're supposed to do it because the pastor says we are the example to the world and we need to do the mission of the church. But little did I know, it was really the mission of the pastor and it was really to glorify the setting and the platform that man created, not what was God anymore. So what we thought was a worship service was really a service unto ourselves. It wasn't yeah. really a worship to God freely responding to God for who he is through scripture, it was more of a, well, let's worship what we created. And so that identifies all the tactics, all the gaslighting, all mm -hmm. the performance issues, all the lies. 
And that's where I thought, you know, you can, you can understand now as an abused person like myself, yeah. who's always having to perform for your manipulators, your abusers, and your parents. If you just do good enough, bad things will happen. Well, it's mm -hmm. funny how that also continues in the church. It doesn't stop. We just call yeah. it something different. We call it being holy. We call it <laughs> trying to follow the pastor's lead and not disobeying the pastor and not touching God's anointed. Am I hitting right. some hot buttons? I hope I am. Oh, yeah. Because that is real. That is right on the nose. I mean, it, it's interesting that you talked about the performance side of, of worship. I had an episode on that way earlier on in my last season in regards to, um, because, you know, a lot of my book and a lot of my experiences obviously are from a younger person's perspective in youth ministry, team ministry, you know, college, sure. high school years. Yeah. And I recognize that a lot in, at youth camps in the, the way that there was always a certain night, which was like the confession cry night, right. which they would blast the, the heaviest hitting songs. They would read, they would sing the bridge over and over and over and over and over and over until right. we were just in tears or whatever. Yep. And it felt manipulative. Big tears, by the way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it helped me discern how that was actually also present just in everyday worship, not just at youth camp, right? That's such a prevalent thing. It's interesting because just the dynamic of authenticity and inauthenticity and how it can really change the dynamic of a worship song into a self-worship, right? It's really interesting. Oh, yeah. But I'm glad you touched on that because it's such a big thing that I've experienced. Is there anything you want to say? Do you have any specific, if, if not, don't worry, but if you have any specific instances you can recall of different interactions or, or dynamics with certain abusive, I don't know, instances of spiritual abuse? Of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'm writing a book on it. There's two books. Uh, Confessions of a Worship Leader is one that I've been writing for a while now. And uh, there's another one that I can talk about later. But sure. simply, yeah, at one of the churches that I was hired at as the worship pastor, I was graded on my worship every week and the pastor and, and see this is wait, wait, wait. graded meaning define graded I'm telling you man you know if you're a worship leader or someone who's been in ministry you know what you know what staff meetings really mean okay mm -hmm. if you're in these kind of churches you'll know what they really mean they mean that the song that you did wasn't good enough mm -hmm. the lyrics that you sang i don't think that you really lived them in your personal life the mm. fact that you missed a note says that not only did you not practice, but you probably also weren't walking in prayer with God. Um, oh. All these different conditions about how yeah. the worship service went, or even just a simple, well, the pastor says, well, I just didn't like that song. And it's, it's like, it, then it just begs the question, well, is the song for you or is the song for God? Is the song mm, for people yeah. to rejoice and to worship with, or is the worship band your personal jukebox to make mm. your sermon sound better mm. and to identify with that, to give everybody a good show so that they can feel good going home and talk about how great the pastor is. Yeah. You know, I'm the thing is that this is so real. And every week I was even graded. I was even like scolded because I broke a guitar string. Something oh as stupid as that. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like, well, Brandon, why do you keep breaking guitar strings? I'm like, <laughs> well, because I'm playing my heart out to God, or maybe because that's the way I, I stroke and pick the string. And if you yeah. pick it a certain way enough times, it's going to pop, you know, don't give me that BS because this, real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that happened. But then 
the worst part of the abuse came when they hired on a creative arts pastor to be over me. And hmm. this guy I felt was always doing the pastor's bidding. Like he was the pastor's henchman. Hmm. Um, I would get triangulated every Monday morning, the pastor, the creative arts, myself. And then if things didn't, if things went south, where I didn't answer correctly, then they would move me to the elder meeting that Wednesday night or Tuesday night before rehearsal every yeah. week. And then finally the pastor was so fed up because all the attempts that they were trying to make to squeeze me out or to find dirt on me, or the many times that they sent congregation members into my office to tell me why they were upset about the worship service or why a worship team member was upset because they weren't able to sing or just mm. something like that. There was always this circus going on through my office doors every week. Finally, because the pastor could not find anything on me because I would always confront them with scripture. And I would mm -hmm. always say, okay, well, you're bringing me this problem about the worship service. So show me where in scripture is it that I'm doing yeah. wrong? Show me where in the gospels that I'm not celebrating God's truth and really evangelizing through music. Show me where that's not happening. Show me where I need to improve. Show me yeah. my mistakes so that because if I'm really under understanding how I can up my game, personally even, then speak to me. But they can never speak to me intelligently or true biblically. It was always by yeah. a falsifying uh, gaslighting technique to get hmm. me to cave under their leadership so they can get what they want. And God wouldn't let them have it every yeah. time. So then finally the pastor got so upset. He gathered me with the elders. And I talk about this in my book and they agreed to send me to therapy to fix me. <laughs> the interesting thing. Now this is, this will blow your mind because it blew my mind. Yeah. The interesting thing about it is that, before worship every Sunday, I had gastrointestinal problems. I developed an ulcer. I had to go to the mm. hospital. I had panic attacks. I had 911 come to my wife and I's apartment. And I literally could not stand up on Sunday mornings to lead worship out of fear of what was going to happen Monday or fear yeah. about who was crossing their arms during worship or, or having a, a scolded look on their face or to hang my job over me or to threaten me that I would lose my income. These are real mm. things that happen in the church that most leaders and worship leaders don't want to talk about because mm -hmm. this is what really happens on the underside. And so when they sent me to this prescribed therapist, what's so funny is I'm sitting in the therapist's office and I'm waiting and I see my friend come out from the hallway and I was like, Hey, Steve. And he's like, yeah, Brandon. I'm like, what are you doing here? And Steve said, well, I work here. And I said, well, well, that's cool. And he said, well, Brandon, who are you waiting for? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a therapist. And he said, well, what's the therapist's name? And I said, Steve. And he said, Brandon, are you supposed to be my 10 o'clock? And I said, yeah, it's <laughs> 10 o'clock. And then like, it's like God just rained this mercy and compassion all over me. This was my friend. Yeah. This is my friend that I knew in ministry that mentored me in the ministry. And I also taught his oldest kid in mm. high school band. And so he at that moment said to the secretary, cancel all my meetings today. Brian and I are going to have a talk all day long. And we did. Mm -hmm. And he, and, and so what God meant for evil, I mean, this is just like the story of Joseph, just like it. And there's yeah. many more people that have stories like this too. I was just happened to be one of them. And what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And the therapist confronted the pastor. There's a longer story that goes into this. 
Yeah. And then at that point, I was being mentored into another direction to go to another church um, by my best friend in the world, Danny Lane, who's now a therapist with the help of Steve. And I resigned from that performance-driven church. I left. And they they tried to make it more like they were firing me. They wanted me to <laughs> sign the sure. letter. And I said, I said, no, how about you sign the letter yourself because I'm walking. And I never signed it. I just walked out. Yeah. And what's interesting about that story is that I went back to the creative arts pastor and we had a dinner hmm. and I was still so angry at him. Yeah. And, and this is in the moment, like, you know, he's like, Brandon, cook me your best, cook me your best Tex-Mex enchiladas. And man, I'm telling you what, I was so mad um, because he wanted to have dinner with me and I didn't know what was going to happen at dinner. I didn't know anything. Yeah. So man, I'm pouring like chili sauce in there, you know, <laughs> three red hot jalapenos and serrano peppers and, <laughs> Um, all red chilies. I mean, I made it as hot as hell as I could. Authentic. And then authentic, baby, because we're from Texas, all right? Oh, yeah. It's, it was funny for Tejas. So what's funny about it is that when he's about to dig into the enchilada dish, he's telling me at the same time, he said, Brandon, the reason why the pastor hired me is to fire you. <laughs> that was the reason. And then he took a bite of the enchilada <laughs> Burn the hell out of his mouth. And my wife and I were just cracking up, but I felt so sad because <laughs> he was crying. And I, yeah. I, you know, crying from the spice, but no, but seriously, though, this is a true yeah, right. story. Yeah. True story, though. I felt bad about cooking the dish for him afterwards, but yeah. he broke down in tears and he hugged me and he said, Brandon, I never wanted to do it. And what happened was before you walked, because I didn't know what happened to him, and he said, before you left the church, they ended up firing me because I mm. couldn't fire you. And they mm. never understood why it couldn't be done. And I just said, Eric, that's because God was at hand. Yeah. And I can't explain it to you either. I cannot. Yeah. It could have happened and it should have happened maybe. But God had other plans. And not for me, for the people of that church, because mm. that's who they're really hurting. They're not trying to hurt me or you. They're hurting yeah. God's people who are innocent. And that's the whole problem with spiritual abuse that makes me so angry and abuse in general because it's not about you they're trying to destroy. They will do that in the process, but sure. they're really hurting God's people and people who won't come to God because of that BS. That's, yeah. that's what's real. That's what's up. And people who will come, then they turned away and won't come back because of it. And, and can you blame them? No, absolutely not. Like, I understand. Why would you want to join that church? Right. If that's the image you're presenting of God, why would you want them? Exactly right. Absolutely. Man, that, that's, I mean... So many stories like this, just in, in whatever context, in church or whatever, it, it, it just outlines, and why are we making it so hard for people to be able to find God? Because pastors and people in general are that too self-insecure. That's the yeah, reason. Because that is the they, reason. Because they try to rely on their own personal strength and yeah. not the true strength and glory of God. Because isn't mm -hmm. that just like man trying to turn yeah. the image of God into the image of what man created? idolatry mm -hmm. isn't that the same thing yeah we're using church we're using god as a front to gain personal whatever power right. esteem money authority right and here's the bitter truth of it yeah and this is not to excuse pastors or religious sure. leaders or narcissists in the church yeah. but you got to think about it what's their genesis mm -hmm. what's the reason of why pastors turn to be narcissistic because deep down, they were the ones that were abused. Oh, yeah. And they were also the ones that don't want to get help or don't want to ask for it. 
because isn't it common about abusive stories, just like it was for me for 40 years? I don't want to tell my story. I didn't yeah. want to look at it. I didn't want to look at the dirt. I felt dirty. Yeah. I felt like I felt ashamed. I felt God didn't love me. I felt that, you know, he redeemed everybody else, but not me. Those are the things I've learned from my abuse and from the spiritual abuse of places that my wife and I have been in because yeah. those are lies. But yet they shroud it into something else. They cover it up to look like something else because yeah. they don't want to deal with the bitter truth because it's too painful. Economically, it's shameful. Yeah. Uh, they could be out on the street. They'll be disowned. They'll be exposed. They'll be found out. And then what happens? So they try to run this race, right? They try to beat people at the punch, mm -hmm. be, a, be all things to people, put on the smile, put on the clothes, put on the facade until yeah. finally it catches up with them. And it happens in a myriad of ways of how it catches up with them where yeah. then we read it in the newspaper publicly of right. their downfall. And, and I'm not just talking about celebrity pastors. Sure, no. I'm talking about Pastor John who's at your church down the corner of the street. Yeah, it's shame. It's shame and the difference between, in my mind, the difference between the damage that can be done between a church member or a church leader and how they deal with that shame is a church leader tends to try to run from their shame through achieving that power, authority over people, which, right. I mean, you can do damage to people without power. As a normal person trying to hide your shame, it can be damaging to people around you. But if you try to run from that shame by climbing the ranks and you're in, in, ahead, above, quote unquote, of all these people, and you have something as weighty as God that you're trying to lead them to and teach them about and bring them towards and guide, whatever, if that's the cover that you're trying to use to hide from your shame, rather than the thing you're doing to help others heal from their shame, it's going to cause so much damage because you've allowed yourself because because it's you're running. That's what it is. You're running and trying to deal with that without actually having to deal with it. It's like pastors take on pastors take on the role of being a parent, mm. which they blame the child for what the child's done. Mm -hmm. When true parenting is not about the child, it's about you. It's yeah. about you know the reason why things may be array in your house. It's not your kids. Yeah. It's you as a parent and your responsibility to them to help them, not mm -hmm. to shame, not to bondage them, but it's to help to sit alongside them and say, hey, how can I help you? Not, hey, this is how bad you are. Yeah. And in, in a similar way, going off that, if you have a young kid, how a kid is, is a mirror into who you are, right? Right. Especially at a young age where if exactly they're having right. a problem with this, if they're really having trouble with this if they're being difficult quote unquote in this section it's okay well how does that reflect to what you brought onto them well because if i want them to change if i want them to change i gotta change first i gotta right. change myself there's something that's not flowing right in my parenting that i need to change which is specifically parallel to the mm -hmm. church the pastor yeah. has to be the one changing not the well, so-and-so member, it's just not the type of yeah. servant that we need in the church. No, it's not. He's not the problem. No. He's just the scapegoat. Yeah. Because again, that excuses the pastor from all responsibility. And then what do the elders do that church? We never hold the perpetrator accountable. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Because we think separation church and state, you know, mm -hmm. 
Um, we shouldn't have to bring laws into the church. We don't need to hold people accountable. We just need to pray over them. I say, yeah. I call that BS on that completely. Because if that happens in the real world, you don't treat criminals that way. No. They go to jail. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so true. It's so true. And They're held accountable. It, it's the system, it, the church system in so many accounts is so wrongfully constructed. It's erected around the maintaining of power to and benefit. authority. So to benefit who? The pastor and and, too ma- and anybody in charge. And that's why yep. there's too much. This is huge, I think. There's too much on the line for leaders to lose Absolutely. in a church Absolutely. system structure. Yep. And not just the head pastor, but anybody in, in leadership because they have too much to lose. So therefore, their allegiance and loyalty, if a pastor is confronted with something he did, it takes a lot more to bring a leader to then go, oh yeah, he needs to be, he needs to be reckoned with here because there's too much on the other side going, well, I need to protect that. I need to keep that in place. Keep him there because if he's not there then this person isn't here and this doesn't get done and I don't get this. Yeah. But there's just too much to lose and out for of, everyone. And out of all the humility that they preach about every Sunday, they show zero to themselves. So the mm. problem is also they have a lack of self-respect to themselves yeah. and a disrespect to God. That's huge. That's really, really huge. Okay. Thinking through all your, the experiences you've had, worship leader, just church member, uh, your, your experiences with abuse and just the entire dynamic of your church experience. How did the accumulation of all these experiences affect your view of God, of church, and of yourself? Well, it made me feel more like I knew in my heart those things were not right, but it questioned, I questioned it a lot, like, well, are they right? Yeah. And what about God's love for me? And so when I started doubting God's inherent love for me, that's when I started diving deeper and deeper into the depression but also yeah. the cycle wheel was happening where I was like, well, then let me just try to do good, earn God's favor, earn the pastor's favor, and then everything will be right. Right. But none of that is a part of scripture. None of, none of that is scripture or, or God's truth. And so it led me to believe that, understand that God never abandoned me and mm-hmm. God is not ashamed of me. And also God's love is not dependent on what I do for him. Mm-hmm but his love is dependent on Christ working through me. Yeah. And that then that makes me a survivor of what God has done through me. No longer mm. a victim. The whole, I mean, a lot of what you said there is about working to get yourself to some place with either a person or with God. And that I think is the number one, in my mind, the number one reaction and place people turn to in this situation, even not in the situation when it's presented to them as, a works-based, performance-based mm-hmm. dynamic or faith. Because so many, too many churches, spiritual environments, profit off that system. Yeah, Monetarily, sure, but also just in terms of, once again, power or, or, or control or whatever. It's, if we can, and it's, uh, it's not always, to give credit, it's not always this intentionally malicious, but this is what it, it is. It's not all churches either. Oh, no, absolutely not. There's a lot of great churches out there. Mm-hmm. These are the churches that we're talking about specifically right. that spiritually abuse. Right. Too many churches feed off the structure of if we can get, if people believe that they have to earn their relationship with God, their good graces with God, their salvation, their esteem, their place in the church, their whatever, 
their security, their safety, their respect, then it benefits us because we're getting stuff done. We're keeping people in line. We're keeping people safe. Well, Christianity is easy. Oh, yeah. Christian- right. Christianity is easy. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also super Christian because I can do all things. But then what happens? Then what happens when you crate, when you, when you crater and when you quake? Then now it's God's fault. Then we start blaming right. God. Right. And it's not, and God's up there like, dude, I didn't have anything to do with it. Exactly. I hope you can see that. I'm going to try to show you that. Yep. And we, the church, these churches and these people can become a barrier between that, which is one of the greatest injustices done, right? Well, just remember this. Yeah. Just remember this. It wasn't the Romans. It was the church who killed Jesus. Right. Yeah. And we don't like to see that. No, no, no. But that doesn't fit our Sunday school mold or image. No. Well, then the, you, had a, you had an image problem from the beginning because you really right. didn't know your scripture. It's like Jesus said, then you didn't know me. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about how they affected your view of God, church, or yourself? You know, when I started really going through all the depths of my abuse, from the sexual abuse to the spiritual abuse, I began to understand that no matter how bad everything looked, felt, that God loved me even more than that. And God loved me beyond the hurt, the pain, the abuse. And when I began to understand God's real love through that, where I was just nothing but zero, and I mean going down to the so to the very bottom where you were just flat to the floor. I don't mean hitting rock bottom where you're just on your knees. I mean when your nose is on the concrete and there is yeah. nothing, there is nowhere else that you can go. I really believe in that kind of depth is where you really understand the mercy of God and the worship of God. And it doesn't mm. mean that everybody has to have abuse in their life. Yeah, I'm sure. speaking for those who have been abused, yeah. but I am speaking for those too who have not had that kind of background or experience. We all, you too, have to yeah. come to the bottom because that foundation is the foundation of where Christ's throne is built, is mm. the bottom floor that we all need to get on. And some people's floors look different from others, but the beautiful thing is that Christ does not look at the floor. Christ sees us and his throne is built above our mess. Mm. And, and when you can truly understand that and let go of that, that abuse and hurt or work through it, that's when you find the real love of God. And let me also say this too, yeah. as I said, this at the very beginning of the, of the show, that working through your abuse, spiritual or not, it's not an overnight process, no. nor is it a Christian mark that you just check off for the week and, oh, I've, I've handled that now and I'm done. I'm, I'm healed and I can let the past go. You know, yeah. for a survivor, they have trouble letting the past go because it's the past that's kept them in that pain prison for all those years like I had myself. And just yeah. think about the trajectory. The longer that you've been in that abuse, abusive situation, or all those years and all those events, the longer it's going to take for your head, your thinking brain to your emotional heart and feeling of yourself, mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot longer for those two to connect. But when they do connect and when you allow Jesus to connect those things for you, yeah, it is the most beautiful relationship and liberty that you'll ever experience in your life. And then that's when you begin to heal. That's so true. I had a thought going back a couple steps, sure. talking about 
where Jesus' throne is, down in the dirt or up top. And I had this, in my church growing up, and I think many churches, in an auditorium, there'd be the stage in the front and mm. the congregation. And in the back rows, you would have like the mothers with young children, like the babies. They had to nurse or keep in a crib, whatever. And when you were talking about that, like, is Jesus down in the dirt? Is he up in the front? I'm like, do we think if Jesus were in the auditorium with us, would he be in the front of that stage, getting all the attention and trying to lead through power? Or would he be in the back row with the single mother and the Absolutely. baby in the back row, Absolutely right? Absolutely in the back. Yeah. Absolutely in the back with the, with, with the person with the need, with the person who needs someone next to her, with the person away from the light, because he is the light in the back or the dark, right? It's like during my own abuse, I knew that I knew that Jesus was there with me, and I had to dissociate all the events that were happening to me at that time, but mm -hmm. I knew square in my mind, God was above me and God was with me. And yeah. then it asked the other question, well, then if God saw you, why would he let those bad things happen? That's a huge question people deal I with. I don't have an answer for that, except, yeah. except to say this, that if God is not the author of confusion— he is also not the composer of evil. Hmm. In other words, man is responsible for his evil, not God. Mm -hmm. Just like how you can ask the same question, well, then why did God allow Adam to sin? It's the same yeah. question. Yeah. Well, God didn't allow Adam to sin. God gave Adam a command. Adam, who was given free will, chose yeah. he chose his behavior at that moment. He yeah. chose and made a, made a conscious decision yeah. on the basis of what his wife told him, he agreed that it was okay yeah. to break God's commandment. It was his choice to do so, yeah. just like it is today. It's man's choice, woman's choice to sin or not. Yeah. And that's something that God can't get in the way of, but it, it doesn't make man inexcusable, but it makes them totally responsible. Yeah, well said. Okay, we've touched on this, but if there's more you wanted to say on this, what are some of the biggest misconceptions or unhelpful beliefs about spiritual abuse or religious trauma that you have had to confront? Well, I remember walking into a worship service one Sunday mm -hmm. and one of the elders that was accustomed to grilling me every week put his hand on my shoulders, Brandon, and I thought that he's going to give me some encouraging words and say, Brandon, today's a great day for you to resign and meant it. <laughs> Just way. before the worship service, before I was going to lead. Oh, love that in your head. Not kidding, man. I mean, how do you follow up with that? Yeah. You can't. No. But you know what? What I did, I looked right at him, and I didn't think I didn't say anything super spiritual because it caught me off guard, and I was sure. scared half to death. But it's like God just put this in my mind, and I looked back. I looked right back at him. I said, "Well, whose whose day is it today?" Mm -hmm. And I just walked on a good response you know yeah because he tried to make it about me but really he was trying to make it about himself yeah you know but the day is god's every day is god's and yeah. we worship god for who he is and people will get in the way people will screw it up because they want to self-direct the power back to them so it doesn't go to god and so and that's not easy to reconcile it's not yeah. easy for us to see it because it's distasteful, it's detestable. But how do you swallow it? Well, no one's asked you to swallow it. No one's asked no. you to make that a part of your diet. You reject it. Mm -hmm. And I say that if you're in one of those unhealthy places, it's time to get the hell out. Yeah. Literally.
because yeah. what you're in is is another prison cell of hell because that ain't heaven. That ain't heaven, baby. It's not a reflection. No way. Mm-hmm. No chance. And you're just inside of a large whitewashed tomb with dirt mm-hmm. on the inside. Here's what I learned too. You, you don't have to be faithful to stay. Mm-hmm. I was confronted that with my therapist, Brandon, why did you stay there so long when you knew you could have gotten out? And I thought, well, I just want to be faithful to God and my calling and my serving. That was drilled into me for all these years. Do so you mean you mean like like staying does not define faithfulness? No, hell no, it doesn't. Yeah, right. Great. Love no, that. Because I know there's a lot of proponents out there that say, well, you got to be faithful to your calling and you got to stay where you're planted. You know what? Mm-hmm. If you're planted in a bad place, yeah. are you telling me that then it's okay to be repeatedly abused in an abusive environment? And right. then you're saying then that God says that that's okay for you? Right. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, because then that would make God an abuser. Right. And is he an abuser? Absolutely no. not. When you equate staying in a church, a specific church, with faithfulness to God, you are saying that, oh, we are 100% right. an accurate reflection of God. Right. Or even higher. So, you're right. So, exactly. So close that if you step out, you're being a degree, at least a degree less faithful. Sometimes completely unfaithful, right? Wait wait a minute, wait a minute though. But look at that elevation that that church has put themselves on above God. Mm -hmm. Didn't Satan do the same thing? Hmm. Just, it's just crazy, man. Don't be fooled. Don't, that's what I'm going to tell your listeners. Don't be fooled by the wolf's clothings. Yeah. Don't be fooled because you're not, you're not fooled. You see it just right. That gut in your heart, that mm. gut in your heart is the Holy Spirit telling you what's up. That's yeah. what's going on. What you're seeing is real. What you're yeah. seeing is real. It's not a dream. It's not fake. Don't let them yeah. gaslight you because that's exactly what that's then they've accomplished and they've done their job if you mm-hmm. believe it. If you feel it in your gut, in your heart, and it stays. There's a reason why things are not right, that they don't mm-hmm. seem right. Right. And, and there's, there's a fear also for like gaslighting and kind of being trained to second guess yourself and not and question your heart right heart yeah. people of all things don't listen to yourself you're going to pull yourself <laughs> astray you're not strong enough in your faith whatever yeah. like trust yeah. your, you can tr- you can trust yourself not always there's you need accountability sometimes because you're not always right but when your heart when your gut which i believe is oftentimes the holy spirit is telling you and you feel oh that's not right that doesn't feel right that's wrong or Oh, that's that's good. That's a good thing. That's healthy. I like that. You can listen to yourself. Listen to yourself because that's usually God speaking to you through you. Anything else on that? Should I move on? No, just remember that you're not alone and that it's a mm. process. And you can you can love God again. He already loves you. He's never stopped. Never stopped. Nothing based on whether the stuff you do, the stuff you don't do does not affect him at all. Not based on a narcissistic leader. Mm-hmm. or what we call a subterranean leader, mm. which is someone who's not the most grandiose or charismatic mm-hmm. person, but they're the ones who operate under the surface. Yeah. No matter who your abuser is, God has never stopped loving you. He's never left you. It's just man gets in the way and they screw it. They mess it up. Yeah. Well said. What would you say to someone, which you, this whole episode has been that, but <laughs> what would you say to someone who has experienced the damaging effects of spiritual abuse? I would say that you need to find somebody trusted, hmm. a voice that you can listen to that is not a part of that church. Mm-hmm. You need to go outside 
And that means going against the pastor's rules, I know. Yeah. But that's what I had to do when I was in that unhealthy, spiritually abusive place in, in my first full-time worship pastor leadership. I had to reach out. I had a dear friend of mine who I've already mentioned. His name is Dan. And Dan was so cool when I first met him. He's like, hey, bro, anytime you want to talk, just let me know. And, and I thought, wow, he is the coolest guy. I met him only once, and I just thought, wow, that guy's open. But then when I went back into my own church and I was dealing with all the crap again, mm-hmm. years went by when I was like, wait a minute, there was that one guy, Dan, that I met. He's outside this church. He seemed really cool. Maybe if I can just talk to him. And man, let me tell you, when I first called him, I was like, hey, Dan, I don't know if you're, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, you're you're leading worship for the church. He said, man, I, he said, in fact, he said, I've been praying for you and I'm, I was hoping that you'd call. Hmm. And just like that, I bounced things off of him like, but this is but this is what the pastor said, but this is what our church member did. And is that right? You have to have people in your life that will not only tell you the truth, but that you can bounce silly, stupid crap off of to tell you yeah. if it's real or not, because you are just bamboozled when you're in these spiritually abusive places. They gaslight yeah. you so much, all you're breathing is their gas. You know, you, yeah. you don't know right from left. And so you have to find a, a trusted voice and an, a trusted ear that won't reject your story, that won't reject you, but that will receive your story, that they will hear mm-hmm. you and love on you. And even if they don't have to say anything profound, they don't need to give you the answers because the truth is, is that, God already put those answers within you. That's why you're searching for help. But a lot of times you need people in your life to help draw it out. And you got to talk it out. You got to talk out the pain. You have to release the trauma that you've experienced because if it doesn't go anywhere, it's like the dead sea. Then eventually it will corrupt your spirit and you can drown and you don't want that. Yeah. And someone who won't invalidate, right? Won't invalidate. You got to have validation. You got to have somebody to say, Hey, you know what? I hear you. And they may not have to be through an experience themselves, but it's helpful when you do find people to say, you know what? I was there five years ago and I know exactly what you're talking about. It is so incredibly important to find people like that, that can validate your pain. So huge. Did you, you had mentioned to me a little bit when we were talking a couple days ago about this whole thing you wanted to share about the importance of each person's individual story. Would you want to share with that at all here? Yeah. Um, I'm changing my approach. I, I, I've been teaching on worship for 25 years. And um, one of the places that I was touring with about a decade ago, wanted me to do a class on that. We didn't know it was called spiritual abuse at the time, but it was more like, you know, burnout. Sure, and yeah. the more I taught it, we can, we coined the phrase, spiritual abuse from a book that mm-hmm. is so important because it's not new, um, but yeah. a book called Su- The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse um, by Jeff Von Van Dorn, and there's another co-author. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it rocked my world because when I read it, it was like, wow, that is me. That is a church that I read, that I've been in. And so I began um, drafting my own stories and teaching that. But now where I find myself in this in, in, in the world today is that through any kind of abuse, my own sexual abuse personally, or the spiritual abuse, what I found that's important is that just like how I have one, everybody has a story. And that yeah. story 
needs to be told because that, unfortunately for me back then, I was ashamed of my own story because I did not, I was not allowed to voice, to have a voice in the church or have a voice to my abusers. I was always silenced. And that's what gaslighting does. Gaslighting mm -hmm. the attempt is to silence the abusee and to squelch their stories. So why? So they don't talk and they don't, yeah. expo they don't expose. So yeah. that's why I say that talking at your pain is the most healthy thing you can do. So now we're changing our social sites. And now my new uh, mission is, is to hear people's story, tell my story. And so we've coined the phrase called your story matters because mm. your pain matters, your hurt matters, your abuse matters, your family matters, your, your spirituality matters, your personhood matters. All these things matter because they're you, because yeah. that's what God is doing within you. And it's only the evil voices that try to tell you, you have no voice. You have no story. That is a lie. And mm. it's time now that we start telling our own story because why? Because God is not finished writing the pages of your book. Mm. And no matter where you are in your abuse, I want you to hear this one thing. Because of God, he's given you the power that you can change the ending of your story. So huge. After so, these spiritually abusive environments disassociate you from your story and right. make you second guess your story and make you invalidate your story and distance you from your story. Right. And owning your story and being able to process your story and heal from your story even, or embrace your story and take pride in your story and help others by resonating with your story. It's, it's such a huge thing, especially for so long you're told that it doesn't matter, right? That's right. So huge. So huge. I love that. Okay, Brandon, I have one final question for you. The question okay. I ask. I may have one final answer. All right. I hope you do. This podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one point believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. So my question is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or get a new understanding of? To not let other people define you, hmm. to not let your abuse define you, hmm. but rather look at who God for who he really is and allow him how he's already defined who you are. And you live that. You live hmm. that out. You don't live out the expectations of your parents or the pastor or the church or anything else because you don't have to answer to them. You're not obligated to them. You're obligated to God. We're always told that when God comes back, you're going to have to answer to him. But that puts in a lot of fear to people mm -hmm. when, when used yeah. improperly. Mm -hmm. And the proper way to say it is, where do you want to find your happiness in when God does come back and he looks at you and he calls you faithful? What are the things that you want to say about your life to say that, Jesus, you were the true rescuer and redeemer of my life, not how great I've done my life. Mm. But even if I had nothing to show, but I just had Jesus alone. But then it becomes the other responsibility of, well, what are the great things that God's given you to do in your life? Did you, were you able to get help and to break out of that abuse and to do the great things God's called you to? Because God has, is doing amazing things around you that you can't even see and, yeah. and learning how to live those dreams that he gave you deep in your heart long ago. Those dreams have never changed. 
And that's the reality of it is that God wants you to live the way that life was supposed to really be intended for you, not Mm. what the abuse had intended, but the way Mm. God had intended. If we found, I go back to the the definition, who defines us, if we found ourselves and, and find our stability in how others define us, anybody, not just church leaders or abusive churches or whatever, just anybody, but especially in those contexts, it's going to drive us insane because those definitions can change so drastically depending on what we have to, what we do in these environments that are completely erected out of how we perform, how we are seen in the eyes of the people in charge. Yeah. We start living shaky and faulty lives and lives of falsehood and lives of lies because we don't want anyone to know what's really going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. And the danger with that, the danger with that is that, then we begin to pass down the pain. Mm. Never pass down the pain. Never. You have to cut that pain. You have to break that cycle. Nate, uh, the guy's name is Nate Pauzelworth. Uh, he's huge on Twitter with self-help. And I don't, I don't think he's a Christian. He may yeah. be. But he says that it's about being a cycle breaker. And I love that phrase, cycle breaker. Because yeah. you have to be the... well. You don't have to be the one to do for other people. You can't, you can't be that agent, mm-hmm. but you can be a cycle breaker to break your own cycle. Because I knew even during my own abuse physically and spiritually, I, had, I kept saying to myself, this is not how I'm going to end. I'm mm-hmm. not going to let this end me because I know this is not over. Yeah. Hurt that's not healed from will be passed on. Exactly right. It will guarantee wounds that are not shame. That's not processed and left behind and broken free from will be passed on. And it becomes so dangerous and you Mm -hmm. affect so many people by your bad choices and decisions and behaviors because you yourself are too selfish enough to look within your own hurt. It takes a lot of not just humility, but bravery and strength to go down deep to the bottom and see all that for what it really is and accept God's healing and accept him to do that work in you and to be loved in the way that he really sees you, not the way that you see yourself. Because God doesn't mm-hmm. love us in the way that He, the way that we see ourselves. Yeah. He sees us way differently. He's the one who made us and created us. Yeah. Love it. That's, that's all I got. Brandon, thank you for coming on. This was a great Thanks conversation. Hearing your experiences, hearing your story, hearing your thoughts, really, really valuable insight. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. It's, it's an honor and it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Guys, that's the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. And thanks again to Brandon Dempsey for coming on the show. Great conversation. If you want to follow Brandon, go check out his Instagram page, Confessions of a Worship Leader, for a a whole bunch of daily and weekly nuggets of wisdom and encouragement about abuse and church trauma, etc. I will link that down below. Go check him out. I will see you next week for episode seven of season two. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.